Hey, good morning, Bhargav. How are you? Look, I just wanted to have a quick session on Ukraine. I think the uh, Western media is being particularly, uh, I'm not sure whether it's deceptive or ignorant. So I wanted to get your opinion. Um, I see a lot of academics from the West are making all kinds of commentary. Indeed, one of my classmates, John Blackstone, made some valid points. He probably also gave away the fact that he's extremely Western-oriented, where intelligence analysis doesn't mean it's subjective. It means it agrees with the powers to be, particularly if you're stationed in Washington, D.C., Canberra, or London, then you need to toe the line if you want to keep getting those big, fat, unchecked paychecks without many questions being asked of the objectivity of your analysis. Obviously, my opinion hasn't changed. Um, I'm seeing this as China and Russia in its new age partnership. I don't like the term everyone's using of saber rattling. I think that's very naive and an emotive word, but they're testing the waters to see if there's any clarity on who the decision makers are in the West. You know, Merkel's gone, uh, Trump's gone, and Biden's replaced him, but doesn't really matter who's got the presidency in America. You've got rich families and very fat public service, often a very close to a hung parliament, meaning there's no real objectivity on decision makers. So I think um, the leaders of Russia and China, of course, have to get to those positions need of having some skills, not just political skills. They, of course, need to have those, but they also need to be competent and intelligent because they don't get voted in by the average uh, dumbass. They get voted in ultimately by the harshest and meanest and smartest and most competitive leaders in the country. So I'm really keen to get your opinion on you know, where this is going. The Western media seems to be talking up the chances of war a lot more than uh, the indicators Ah, okay, yeah, there's even troops on the border. That doesn't necessarily mean war. It, it can often mean all kinds of things. In this case, a probing operation to see who barks. Now, the West, of course, will want to take credit when there is no war for holding off a war, but I think there's a whole lot deeper than that. And uh, obviously, it's your field of expertise or, your, or at least your geographical area of expertise. I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the Western pundits tend to give analysis, whereas it's more about their popularity and fulfilling their role as a spokesman and an academic. What, what, where do you see it, Margaret? Thanks, Paul. Paul, I, I must agree with you overall, primarily because the West seems to be talking up the tensions uh, more than it actually is. It has a very bad reputation and a habit of making things worse than that, than it actually is on the ground. And that's what we see. That's what we see in the Western media, as well as in the academic sphere. Academics are a little too closeted. They do not want to be frank. They do not want to call out uh, Russia for being aggressor. Instead, they use uh, all of these fancy terms to basically say that Russia is poised to invade rather than directly say that they think Russia is going to invade. So uh, businesses specifically need to be aware of such uh, such talk, you know, hyped talk from the West and, and ensure that they are a lot more pragmatic. Now, coming to the scenario on ground, we need to understand Putin 
with his partners to the east, that is China, are a lot a lot smarter than the Westerners who are warmongers to to a greater extent. Uh, Putin understands any kind of war requires years and years of preparations and. Ukraine is highly militarized society with enough firepower to hold off uh, an enemy like uh, Russia for a long period of time. Despite all the cultural nuances involved, despite all of the the cultural barriers which which may actually exist between the Ukrainians and the pro-Russian uh, militia in the east. Speaking of uh, speaking of Ukraine and its ability to stave off such an invasion. Uh, there is there are also competing economic interests, especially on the pipelines front. There are two yes. parallel competing pipelines which uh, which serve Europe with the supply of gas, oil and gas, primarily natural gas from Russia. The most important one is Nord Stream One in the Baltic Sea. They have constructed a parallel a uh, parallel channel uh, along this along the same pipeline that is called Nord Stream 2 uh, and Nord Stream 2 it's almost finished except for the licensing which is pending in Germany which is held off because of the diplomatic pressure from the US and the intensifying tensions uh, with uh, with Russia now the other parallel uh, pipeline goes to Ukraine any military action in Ukraine is going to disrupt supplies uh, through the pipelines in Ukraine. And the pipelines actually begin in the eastern restive area where the civil war is ongoing. So further action from Russia is it's going to jeopardize its own uh, supply chain. And you on Europe, on the other hand, are going to jeopardize their supply of gas. So without gas, they can't actually survive in the winters. And US, on the other hand, is very much afraid that Europe is going to increase its dependency on Russia. So it's, it's very much uh, an energy crisis game. Europe is already under a, an immense pressure to ensure that their energy uh, is secured. However, that's not happening anytime soon with Putin stepping up uh, the pressure. So, some of the academics are actually right. Putin understands what buttons to push to get the concessions. And Putin also knows, and as overtly declared by the West, that they will not be deploying troops on the ground in Ukraine. The worst they can actually do is cut off Russia from the, the SWIFT banking network. That is a payments network, so the international trade will be disrupted with Russia. So all of these economic aspects, uh, if we consider, the a potential invasion is unlikely, though Putin may actually uh, would like to step up the pressure to gain the economic concessions. And because it, it's a matter of nearly two billion dollars per year in transit fee, which is at stake uh, if if they don't really get the licensing for the Nord Stream 2 uh, in the Baltic Sea, as opposed to the pipelines in Ukraine. Uh, Paul, would you say that militarily yeah. Russia is worse off if Ukraine resorts to a guerrilla warfare, despite having nearly 150,000 troops along the borders. So any such invasion is going to be a lose-lose scenario for Ukraine as well as Russia. Yeah, look, in the scheme of Russia's size, I mean, Ukraine's going to be the bigger loser, but um, guerrilla warfare, as, as we've seen, you know, many, many foe have gone to Afghanistan and learned the lessons of conventional versus guerrilla warfare. Thousands of examples whereby the 
know, if you don't have the will to fight, dudes flying away from their uh, pickup trucks and 60-inch TV screens just don't have a will to fight when they go into these areas of operations. They're after allowances and setting themselves up for when they get back home. So once you start having IEDs and the type of uh, wars that they're not expecting that take out any element of humanity and then the Western troops have to abide by human rights laws, but, but, but the guerrillas don't. So, you know, the Russians are going to experience the same thing. I think very interestingly, getting back to the political scenario, is the rational talking up of this war by the Western media and Western governments. Have you considered that perhaps the West is trying to antagonise Putin into making a rare irrational mistake and going in because it will destabilize his supply chain and will prevent um, Europe becoming dependent on energy supplies from, from Russia. Have you considered that option? Uh, yes, Paul, that is one aspect which we need to look closely because a disruption of oil supply or energy supplies from Russia is a victory to the American bloc uh, because there's already a, a plan on cards that they are going to supply supply gas uh, through the US, Turkey and Qatar uh, by shipping them in, in containers. Now, this will not cover the gap, the supply gap, which will come up if the supply is disrupted from Russia, but it is going to be uh, it, it is going to be a victory for the energy industry uh, in the U.S. and its allies. Now, is that practical? I do not think so, because it, Europeans, of course, they lack leadership at the moment. Merkel is no longer there to to actually push Putin to his corner. Now, Putin. Uh, with Putin, Macron is stepping up the talks, and we have seen uh, Macron and Putin meet multiple times. They are going to meet again. Uh, they are planning for another summit with Biden uh, and Putin. So they're, they're establishing a few preconditions so that they something more fruitful is coming up. Yes, the supply chain disruptions with Russia uh, is a concern, and and US may actually gain from such a disruption, but it will not be very practical for. Uh, for Europe. And a rare mistake, uh, the way I see it, is unlikely because Putin has proven time and again he's a master of restraint along with strategy as well. For example, in Kazakhstan, it took him less than two weeks to pull out. Somebody who is uh, a warmonger who wants to literally thump his own chest like, like the US may actually enjoy being deployed for like two decades, what we saw in Afghanistan. I'm not pa drawing parallels, but any such opportunity to de deploy, the West wouldn't lose. Putin, on the other hand, understands prolonged presence of his troops on the ground is going to antagonize the people and it's going to complicate matters. And similarly, in, in Syria, uh, he understood when to pull out, when to push the local militias, and when to deploy directly. And till date, you do not see prolonged deployment in Syria. Rather, they have resorted to a support role rather than a leadership role in military operations, as opposed to the U.S. in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan for nearly two decades, leaving thousands of their own troops dead. So uh, to a greater extent, I, I do not see Putin uh, committing such a massive blunder. 
Well, it's very interesting to watch how quiet the UK is in this process. And I think that reflects on how many leaders in the West have to stitch up their own popularity more so than think about geopolitical issues. So you've got the UK leader, the German leader, and, and uh, being, being extremely quiet, which reflects what their societies think about going to war. You've got Biden being uncharacteristically forward in, in this situation. And then, you know, let, let's not beat around the bush here when, when, when Macron is the leader of Europe. I'm not sure that Russia and China are shivering in their boots. And indeed, that may be that may be the ultimate goal of Putin, and that's to actually see who holds the triggers of power, not so much at the political level, but at the operational level that can influence NATO or Europe, or the UK or the Five Eyes, or all these other little lobbies that are popping up so that everybody can pump their own media messaging and manipulate their own people towards whatever it is they're trying to do. So I think there's a, a real large strategic issue between Russia and China going on to see if they are going to, um, in the future, face off and who, who is the decision makers that they need to play to make them delay or commit, depending on what they're trying to achieve. Have you got any comments on that? Well, your observations are on point. Boris Johnson, on his part, has only been blurting out rhetorics in the parliament, basically ensuring that people do not see him as weak, at least in parliament, but out in on the diplomatic spectrum. He doesn't seem to fall anywhere except for uh, perfunctory support for uh, Ukraine. They have ruled out any deployment on ground. Uh, they, they are basically saying that they are going to support Ukraine with some uh, military equipment, but nothing nothing close to the kind of active uh, leadership shown by Macron as possible. It is true that Macron doesn't really inspire confidence uh, as as far as leading Europe is concerned, but they have absolutely no choice other than uh, Macron. Germans on their, uh, on their path have been uncharacteristically quiet. I guess that's what is expected of Scholz, who is known to be a fence-sitter traditionally, uh, being part of the Social Democratic Party himself, who, who are you know, they're known for yeah. they're known for taking a very soft stance on most things, not just Ukraine. And a lot is at stake for Germany as well, because their dependency on gas supplies from uh, from Russia is as high as forty to sixty percent, depending on the seasons we are uh, seasons are concerned. Nord Stream two directly supplies gas to Germany, so. Uh, any active involvement in warmongering on German front is going to affect their prices as well. So they understand that. Even their commitment to uh, Ukrainian efforts uh, is limited to medical core supplies, not even arms supply. And uh, so so I guess that says it all. The, Germany is is quite literally on its toes and they can't really say much. They can't really say, say much about the Western efforts because they'll end up offending their Western allies. They can't really say 
say much about Putin because they don't want Putin pissed off, right? So uh, the UK on its on on its part, yes, it has been quiet. It is the Foreign Secretary Trust who's actually uh, active. She landed in uh, Moscow a couple of weeks ago. That they're, they're towing a pretty hard line on on the diplomatic front, but you don't really see Boris Johnson taking taking up the leadership position as far as Western efforts are concerned. It's macro and Biden all the way. What's very interesting too is that everybody's commentating from the West based on um, using the term the West or their own national interests, but it's very scary about how the major blocks um, you know, NATO and, and the other major alliances are all formed for these sort of reasons, but they're disproportionately quiet and countries and national leaders are getting singled out for roles, that there are actually these, these very well-established military alliances that really are leaderless or rudderless, and that boils back to America's belief that the individual states of it should be funding a lot more of it proportionately. And that's led to, you know, the five eyes and it's led to the Australian British American treaty so that everybody can continue to pretend they've got this powerful alliance, even though it seems to have shrunk back from, from NATO and other major alliances down to much smaller entities that enable messaging to be uh, easy, easier to pump out and less common sense checks on it. But of course, it's a major distraction of less, less military deterrence. Um, Bargabler, I think that's a, a good session. So I think you and I, despite what the Western media has got the drums out and is beating up war, I think you and I are fairly solid on the case that if Putin wanted to uh, invade Ukraine, he would have done it with the element of surprise, not after every major news channel, every major talk show, and every major um, domestic uh, gobbiness. Uh, I mean, politicians has been able to talk about it which on end at infinitum. So, um, thank you. I think we'll close it out there, unless you've got any final points, Bargov, and I appreciate you grabbing you ad hoc. Paul, yes, we, we can uh, drop the session here. And I must say, as a last word, the timelines which the West, especially the CIA, is giving is absurd. And we, we have seen that to be untrue multiple times. And it is it has proven untrue this time as well. They were quoting last Wednesday as a, is a is the last date of invasion. And that didn't really happen. So I guess that says it all. Uh, thank you for that, Paul. We'll call it a day here. Thank you. Cheers.